and welcome to the Life Optimization Podcast with your host, Ronnie Landis. And today I am joined by a very dear brother of mine. His name is Shaka Judah. And this individual, he's a very special and rare type of human being on the planet, a dear brother. We met, I don't know exactly when, I want to say like, geez, maybe six months ago, seven months ago. It, it feels longer, and yeah. that's because you are definitely a kindred soul. <laughs> and uh, we met at a place called Kuya, and I don't remember the, all the details, but I remember like, we, oh no, actually we met at our friend Daniel Raphael's house. Yes. And we were doing push hands, mm -hmm. which is a martial arts game. And that was like a connection point. And then we saw each other at Kuya, and then um, we got into a conversation and I found out that you're actually a mixed martial arts, martial artist mm -hmm. and a competitor in mixed martial arts. And um, yeah, we just had a really beautiful drop in. I shared with you my book, The Addiction Free Lifestyle. It really resonated with you. And then, um, and then yeah, we just, just have had a kindred connection and just incredible philosophical conversations and have partied together, journeyed together, hung out many times together. We've trained together a few times uh, with our friend Mateo a week ago, which was a lot of fun and much needed. And um, yeah, we've been seeding, doing a podcast together. And finally, I was like, yo, let's let's do it. Let's drop into this. And uh, so we have a lot to drop into. You're a really deep philosophical, psychological, um, you know, like really like a philosopher and psychologist from my standpoint and um, a coach and a martial artist and uh, emerging body worker um, I'd even say Can like a metaphysician whether you fully recognize that or not I do I see it and I uh, just really excited to have you here bro I, I really appreciate it man like um, I just it's it's difficult for me to find people that are like me and I don't know very many I don't know anyone outside of you who is like pre-lived a journey that's so similar to mine mm. um, I when we did push hands the first time we met first of all I was shocked because I lost <laughs> and I can say that publicly <laughs> I did lose that game of push hands but then when we met and I read your book addiction free lifestyle I was able to make so many connections mm. between what I learned about my own experience with addiction and my own experience with other forms of addiction. Like when, uh, when we had that conversation, I don't know if you remember, but you told me that going to sleep at a certain time is just as much an addiction as mm. a substance, like an addiction to a substance. Mm. And for weeks after that, I decided to wake up at four o'clock instead and like I was I wasn't allowing myself to sleep during the day because I wanted to be addicted to life yeah I had just gotten over this really long depression and like I was realizing that I wanted to enjoy life more and through that conversation I had realized that the way to do that was to live more of life and to mm. slow my life down mm. and it gave me the keys that I needed to like monitor my mind and break free of those addictions that I was holding on to, whether it be um, a substance, a personality trait, mm. uh, an emotion, 
um, just those indulgences that kept me from being my fullest self. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And yeah, there's so much in that. And just the, yeah, the addiction to, well, you know, when we use the word addiction, obviously that's a charged word. It's mm-hmm. a fully loaded word. And um, we can or don't need to fully unpack that. But, you know, we have our attachments, right? And most of them are mental attachments. And we, it's our mind, our ego, our, identity attaches to external things like substances, food, sugar, people, um, digital devices, mm-hmm. the things that we, we consider like exogenous addictions that have an effect on our brain, our personality, all that kind of thing. But then we, we have, um, I like how you said, like addiction or attachment to personality traits. And I really resonate with that too, because I, you know, as a as a former martial artist and high performance athlete, you know, a workoutaholic, um, I too was very attached to a particular um, model of my life in terms of like my workout schedule. And that's actually how I had my first knee injury when I was 18. I had my first knee surgery from overtraining. Mm. Part of it was because I was training to be an Olympic athlete. So it was like I was modeling in a professional athlete schedule. And so I was pushing myself constantly because A, I needed to, and that, that was a healthy thing but to see where my, my limits were. But then on the other side of it, it was compensating for a lack of confidence to be able to perform at that level. So I was, I was pushing even harder because I felt like I lost some time. I, I messed around and fucked around earlier on and you know parties and smoking weed and alcohol and you know just getting distracted in my teenage years and then I felt like I had to make up for that time yeah which was legit and and that was a positive thing but then the body I didn't understand what I do now about body mechanics rehab training um, you know taking care of the body Um, I just knew how to train really hard Mm -hmm. and uh, that's how I ended up with my first knee surgery and then that's when I learned how to slow down. I had to slow down and then started developing my mind and reading about philosophy and getting into meditation and, and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, coming back to this, this statement about this like being addicted to, to life or maybe just forget the word addiction, but like I think where, what you were kind of bringing up was living life fully, mm. right? And I want to, yeah, let's probe into that. So when I was in the midst of my depression, I lived every day as though it was my last day. Mm. And I think that's kind of contrary. When you were in the midst of the depression. When I was in the midst of the depression. Interesting. Right. So like for me, being in the midst of my depression meant that my life didn't have very much meaning. So if someone was going to jump into a burning building, it was going to be me. Mm. If someone was going to go fight the giant 300 pound white belt it was going to be me uh-huh. you know what i mean it's just that that matter of constantly putting my life on the line constantly tempting death constantly saying if you can take me now's the time but i bet you can't fucking take me mm. you know what i mean mm. and when i um and in that there was so much chaos that I was able to literally bathe in. Mm. Just the chaos of going up to the most vicious event or potential, looking it in the eyes and being like, I'm gonna beat you. Mm. And um, I think think that's why I made a lot of the 
wild decision that I did when I did. Like when I decided to be a freedom fighter in Iraq and like go hunt down ISIS. Or like when I decided to become a cage fighter at the age of 27. Or like when I decided to join the Marines. Like there's just this litany of saying, I'm fucking challenging you mm. to take me out. And if you can't do that, fuck you. I'll you're find the next thing that you're, can. You're tempting fate. Constantly. So that was your that was your like deeper motivation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I I told my I told my dad that I was going to join the Marines instead of the Army so that I can be better than him, but I was mm. joining the Marines instead of the Army because I wanted a glorious death. I found out. Oh, interesting. That, yeah. It's a very out. samurai kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah I just I didn't want to get I didn't want to get taken out by getting hit by a car you know and I'd seen enough movies to know how hubris will lead you to believe that you'll go out in a flaming chariot and then just fucking drop a meteorite on you you know what I mean yeah so yeah. I wanted to go and like experience true warfare true battle wow. true like true hell on earth wow and I got that but when I escaped that place of deep unrelenting pain not only did I want to live life mm. but I wanted to slow my life down mm. I wanted to appreciate I wanted to appreciate the seconds I wanted to appreciate the minutes find those moments of peace joy and happiness and do all that I can to make them last forever mm. build up those moments of peace joy and happiness and like be excited about them happening and then indulge in that excitement when I received that moment and in the midst of like pain when you when you reach a zenith in that place it fucking goes away like that mm. like you watch you watch mm. all these movies about drug dealers and gangsters and like mm. cage fighters as soon as the as soon as the lights turn off yep it's over right right yeah but if you're happy you go home and you're still fucking happy and it, it does something to your concept of time everything slows down a little bit more so ice cream tastes better mm. you know what i mean mm. the the moments last longer you become to enjoy the pleasure of existing mm. and until those moments like literally a few months before i met you like not only did i, did I not have that but i didn't want that because i thought it would make me weak yeah wow Wow, I'm just like, as I listen to you, and I can see why we resonate with each other so much because you really do embody this um, this warrior spirit that's, it's a unique flavor to it though. And a lot of people wouldn't fully understand it. I do because I was raised in that culture and especially with my deep connection to like the Bushido Japanese samurai culture like that that was always built into me and I'm sure through like past lives I've done different like channeling sessions and I know for sure that I was a samurai in multiple past lives it's very built into me and I and I felt like I was born in the wrong time many times like I couldn't really you know I was, I, like training for the Olympics was my best my best adaptation in this particular reality this this era of of you know in, in this american culture right mm -hmm. um that was my best way to adapt in this culture but i definitely felt like my soul belonged in a different time 
and uh, it's yeah, it's interesting listening to you because I, I get I get it. I get that mentality. It's it's um, it's the truly like truly a warrior mentality. And and there's a there's a there's an honor and a valor and a and like um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, there's like a virtuous a very deeply virtuous and honor-based quality to that that a lot of people may not fully understand because they're they don't know what it's like to come from that type of background it's it's so it's it's literally it's tattooed into my dna yeah there's like an absolute code that i live by and have lived by since the since the age of 13. i remember um my dad told me that I made a code when I was 13. And I, I think the rules started out very subtle. Like I did not want to kill anything with red blood even though I was able to eat something with red meat. Uh -huh. There was no reason to kill anything with red blood. Um, there was no reason to like uh, steal from your neighbor. There was no reason yeah. to lie. Yeah. Like these little right. things. But the reason why I was doing that was because I lived in a realm of combat. And mm. whereas other people will say, treat others as, uh, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Right. The shit that I would have done to me. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you have no idea what I would endure to protect Voluntarily. Yeah, without a doubt. Right. With just like, at a level of peace. And because people had no idea what I would allow to be done to me, I had to put limits on what I would do to them Ooh. because they would act out of, they would act in ways that are outside my code. Yeah. And it would give me such a culture, a culture shock, uh -huh. Uh -huh. just a, just a blasphemous idea of reality. And I had this, um, especially when I was in the military, I had this, this, understanding that there were people who were not equivalent to being a person like I used to be um, I used to be in the realm of a lot of like very flighty like happy super jovial people and I was like a part of them ma making them happy part of that made me happy you know what I mean trying to stay okay but in the military I had to come to terms with the truth that I would potentially be overseas and I would be potentially faced with life or death decisions and I already made that choice you know I wasn't going to kill anything with red blood so how do I combat that how do I how do I change that part of my morality and what I had to ultimately understand is that there are people who do things that make them inhuman and I felt that beforehand because I had heard stories about the types of things that people do but in the military I became a witness to it and it put me on a different level for mm. years. I think that's a lot of the reason why I just ended up becoming an MMA fighter because I just couldn't escape that injustice yeah. and I needed yeah. to make peace with it. Right. And it's like the only like socially acceptable outlet. Yes. To fully express yourself in a contained environment mm. where you could unleash. And that's that's like that's just that that's the container. Yeah. But that's not something you can't do that in society. No. Nor, nor should you. <laughs> that, right. I mean, you know, if we want to get philosophy, I mean, yeah. I feel like there were there were things that I could do in the military that I would absolutely that would I would go to jail for yeah. in Walmart. You know what mm. I mean? Like <laughs> if I did the things that I did in the military in Walmart, I would definitely go to jail. 
However, I believe that we may be a better society mm. if that potential mm. was always put on notice. D- agreed. Yeah. Totally agree. I agree completely with that. And there, that's a that there's layers to that. But anyone listening, it's like, you know, Mike Tyson had a really great quote, which is that people on social media have gotten so comfortable talking, saying things to people that they would never say in real time. Yes. Like, well, the, that actual quote was like, people have gotten too comfortable saying things to people that they would never say their face without, without getting punched in the mouth. Yeah. And there is that actual like check and balances mm-hmm. that's necessary in life. And I think probably for you, for me too, the beauty of like growing up in martial arts in particular or just fighting is that there's checks and balances. Yes. And if you step outside the line and you just blatantly disrespect people, there is there's checks and balances. Mm-hmm. And you learn that very quickly. And I think that is one of the things that is a huge detriment in our society, especially the PC culture where it's like moral relativism. Mm. Where like you know, we just assume that people are good and they should appropriate themselves in a certain way and they should just be accepting of all people's choices and gender fluidity mm-hmm. and, you know, political correctness and all these things, which are all just manufactured and social engineered concepts mm-hmm. um, for the most part. And it's actually suppressing people's primal nature. And mm-hmm. so all that suppression of that primal energy eventually either it's going to go into addiction people are going to have to medicate sedate and tranquilize and numb themselves mm-hmm. right or they're going to have to find a positive outlet like working out training martial arts yoga something to move that energy and direct it and channel it or it's just going to pop off someone's going to get triggered there's going to be a fight in the streets there's going to be a domestic abuse situation school shooting school shooting right which is a mental health disorder or issue yeah you know and it's and it's in that in of itself is like is is highlighting the the shadow underneath the surface of our culture it's I, I, the, a good example that I like to use is that we want to call speech violence. Like the same people who want to call yeah, yeah, speech right, violence right, right. Yeah. will also call you a Nazi. Right. You just throwing I mean? it out there. Like it is just, it's just like, yeah, right. Like as a student of history, as a, as a, as a person who's fought in wars, as a person who's fought against ISIS and seen their atrocities for someone to call me that, while saying that speech is violence, it's just like you just committed the most violent potential act right, that you can, right? And I will never be able to express the equivalent to you. Mm. Mm-mm, mm-hmm. Like if I unleash my greatest violence to you in response to you unleashing your greatest violence to me, the 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 scales are way fucking different. It's like hitting a woman. Like, you don't hit a woman. You know what I mean? It's just not something that you do. Yeah. So, like, all of that pent-up anger, all of that frustration, all of that bouncing off the walls between people just treating other people like trash, especially after coming out of that honor-based society. Like, Mm. the Marines, don't get me wrong, like, they're not not perfect people. They're thieves, they're Mm. adulterers, they're liars, they're just like everybody else. But if you found out that a man did you wrong, mm. you can walk outside, 
draw a line in the sand and you can fight that man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And as I was getting out, that like that culture started to disappear, which is a major reason why I got out. Because like the this the weird liar BS that happens in the civilian world still happens in the military. Mm-hmm. But if you can't fight that man after that, with all of the hell that we're going through, how are you supposed to trust him in combat? Mm. How are you supposed to trust him to save your life? How are you supposed right, to walk right, alongside right, that man right. under gunfire? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. We were able to make peace with each other. Mm. And that's not something that I had experience with in the civilian world ever. <laughs> you know? Like I was in I was working in the corporate world and there was um there it was a woman who I was like taking care of and like making sure she was okay and she was an older woman, she was one of my employees, so I called her Mama Bear. Right? Well, she ends up leaving after she makes this giant sale. She ends up leaving the company. And she establishes a lawsuit against the company calling me ageist for calling oh her mama bear. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. And my management wrote me up. They not only knew that I had called her mama bear. Which is a term of endearment. Absolutely. Like right. I had gone to her to advise... I had treated her like family, and I called her Mama Bear as a testament to what I believed she was, not just to me, but to our team. Right. You know what I mean? She was a mentor to all of us. Mm. And then she said that she she didn't just say it, She got a lawyer, and I had to be written up for, uh, for calling her Mama Bear. And with all the money that I had made for the company, with mm. all the growth that I had put mm. into that space, with the, with the numerous 14-hour days, the challenges on my relationship, the difficulties that my physical body went through, driving for eight hours a day and getting my muscles locked into place, mm. to think that they would challenge my life, mm. like my livelihood, mm. over something so petty, yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, no loyalty. But people do that every day. Yeah, That's that, how they climb yeah. the corporate ladder. That's right, and, and I'm gonna pivot the conversation, but like this is, I mean, it's so great that we're talking about this, because this is so much of my frustration with people. Mm is that there doesn't seem to be like a, a, a code of ethics mm. that most people appropriate their behavior and their life by and live their life by. Um, it seems more convenience-based, even within our circles and mm. our, our, our friend circles, which are very high-level, conscious, well-developed individuals that are doing coaching work and, and healing work and different things. I still find, and I'm, and I'm not like perfect either, but I definitely have seen so many reflections where like I'm definitely willing to show up in situations that don't directly benefit me that actually take me away from my projects and my focus to show up for other people in some cases I've literally gone out of my way to save people's lives Mm -hmm. and then to like there's a like a sister of mine had like a massive bleeding she's bleeding blood clots are coming out of her and 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 luckily Mm -hmm. medically I understand how to support her and guide her through it and took care of her and took her like re rescheduled a coaching call ran over there took care of her she's bleeding on the floor i'm guiding her through it i'm holding space for her you know basically saved her um from her own you know her own you know going into the pit that's right and 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 you know it's like and then that i'm just making an example not to put that on spot but just making an example of like and then like weeks later i 
interact with her and like we had an agreement about something and it was very petty ultimately and she's like yeah I just felt like I already like did something for you and, and we're clear and I was like no but that wasn't the agreement yeah that wasn't what we said and it was just another reflection of like whoa okay it, it this is this is an issue that I see with so many people where it's like almost like and the more like psychologically developed people are and more spiritually orientated people are I find that there's a tendency to kind of to almost like feel like these 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 basic agreements mm -hmm. that are made like basic virtues mm -hmm. like honor trust respect I mean not maybe not so much those but like just honoring your agreements yeah like whether like for example um, I'm just gonna like process out loud here because I'm just like this is this is a point that is coming up and yeah. maybe someone listening to this you can relate to this in your own experience you know like with with coaching clients mm. you know where somebody comes on and I, I create the space I talk to them and we agree on a program and maybe that person isn't actually experienced with coaches. Mm -hmm. So I open myself out, like here's the program. I even moderate the price point to support them. They get in, we do one session, it's great. Next week they're like, oh yeah, you know, um, I feel like I'm good now. I don't feel like I need to continue. And then I'm like, okay, all right, fine. But then like a month later they come back to me and they're like, yeah, so I'm just waiting on the refund. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like refund mm. okay and then it's like this long drawn out thing and the whole reflection for me is like okay now I actually have to educate this person not only on how a coaching program works when you create an agreement with someone mm -hmm. because their whole thing is like well I should be able to just pull out any time right if I if I hire a business coach and I no longer want to do it then I should be able to change my mind and it's like no actually you don't that's the whole point of making agreement and entering into partnership with someone mm. if you no longer want to do it then that's on you but you don't get to just determine my time and energy mm. right and it's that actually has nothing to do with money and at this point I'd actually have rather not have agreed to that because now I have to go through a whole process to try to like Detach. E detach or either to try to like support you in a way that like I don't need to and legally I don't need to mm -hmm. but you know and and just like in processing this out loud what I'm getting at is like these are all examples that I've seen where oh this is good this is a good direction to take it mm -hmm. where people have their they have their own idea in their own assumptions and expectations about how reality should be mm. which is also a direct reflection of why they are where they are mm. and it's a fundamental lack of self-accountability mm. respect for all that are involved in whatever the situation is and their direct lack of commitment to a process it's like and there's there's time behind all of those things the, the exactly most fascinating thing to like just just yeah. because you're paying me mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you think that 
I don't care about the money. Mm. Do you think that's why I'm doing this? <laughs> I could make a lot more money doing other things. I've chosen this vocation. And yes, I do have clients that do pay me very well. But it's not like I ha it's not like this is going on all the time. I'm a real human being living life. I got a lot of things I'm juggling. The podcast that I'm doing is free. Mm-hmm. I'm not even making money on the podcast. Like I do this as a service because I love to do it. Yeah. And that's part of my 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 you know my contribution, right? I'm not rolling in I'm not a millionaire by any means. Yeah. Not yet. Um it's all service based and like just because somebody pays money for my time and energy that actually is more valuable than your money ever will be hmm. I think one of the things that I learned from you um, while I was in my pursuit well I'm still in my pursuit of mastery but I was on I turned this page after I read um, an addiction free lifestyle I, I lit I turned this page into this pursuit of mastery and what I learned about that pursuit of mastery is that very rarely do people have an understanding of the concept of time mm. as adults. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have an understanding of the concept of time. So when you mm. say that I'm going to do something, it takes six weeks. It takes <laughs> six weeks to be able to add something into the pattern of how you wake up every morning. Right. That doesn't just include like, working out that doesn't just include managing your business properly that includes your relationships like, every aspect of your life is now now needs to be included for six for six weeks. weeks so you say you want you say you want to have more money in your business you get the map and you feel so enthralled yeah by the first day session that you feel like you know enough yeah. to be able to change your life one session is not going to be enough you need a minimum of six weeks just to think this just, way. Just to get back to baseline. On a regular basis. Just to create a, just to have a new beginning. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because your, your entire dopamine system and your entire nervous system and your psychology has been primed, wired, and, and patterned exactly the way that it's expressing itself in your day to day. That's so, it's such a big deal. So your reward system mm. for your brain mm. has not yet adapted to doing these things that will exactly. make you more successful. Yes. You wake up every day and you eat a donut because that gives you the kickstart of energy that you need to drive from your house to the office. I'm talking about yeah, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about me. I used to go to an office an hour away and mm. goddamn, if I didn't get my Red Bull, because I didn't uh-huh. want to drink the big ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to get a Red Bull uh-huh. and a donut so I could make it from my house to the office where we would get our fucking, uh, our little tacos, mm. okay? So I would get my Red Bull and I would get my donut. And if I didn't, I'd be bobbing my head on the way to get to the office at six o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? To get the idea of the donut off of my mind, it takes six weeks. Mm. There are studies done on mm. this. So mm. if I want to wake up every day and enjoy eating an orange, an apple, a banana, mm. a smoothie before I get to work instead of a donut, I need six weeks. Yeah. And that's six weeks just to change the pattern. That's not six weeks to change the addiction. Right. Because I fucking love donuts. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm. If I'm going to replace that with something else, uh, you know, and I ask for help with it, you as a coach are already dedicated to those six weeks. You wake up in the morning the next day and you're like, I've got this motherfucker in my hands and I'm going to change their life over the next 42 days. Right. I've already mentally orientated to that. 42 days. Yeah. That's all. That's almost uh, that's a that's a that's a half of a season. There's a half of a season in your mind that you're already oriented towards supporting this person. You're thinking about lesson plans. You're yep. thinking about yep. uh, feedback. You're yep. talking about the different appointments you're going to set up. You're talking. You're thinking about timelines. Yep. They wake up the next morning and they're on the other side of this great cataclysm mm-hmm. <laughs> where they're like, oh, I guess I don't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, <clears throat> that's it. And that's it. And so... So a lot of what I was hearing from you too, and you sharing your life experiences is like, obviously so much of that is born out of trauma, Mm. right? And managing the stress response Mm. and learning how to self-regulate, right? Yeah, that was, um, that was honestly a part of the journey with the addiction free lifestyle. So I read that book and previously I had done stints is what I would call them. So I would, uh, I used to want to join the Freemasons, so I... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Whoa. I took 60 days. For 60 days, I didn't masturbate, I didn't smoke any weed, and um, I didn't play video games, I think it was. I just gave up these three things for almost like Lent, like a Catholic person would do once a year. And um, during those, those times of sobriety, I got to see the pieces of myself that I was holding back. I got to see... I got to look into myself and I got to say... I feel this way because of this thing. And sometimes it wasn't in the moment, right? Like sometimes I would wake up the next day and I would realize, oh, that's why I was being so this, or that's why mm. I was being so that. Mm-hmm. For example, um, I'd, be, I'd be going on a date and um, instead of staying over at her house, I would go home and for some reason I'd feel lonely. And I'd mm. wake up and I'd be like, oh, I feel lonely because there was no connection with that woman, but I still gave her a piece of myself, Uh you know Uh what I mean? And, um, when I was smoking marijuana, like I didn't have any of those sensations at all. So in these, in these points of sobriety, I was able to listen to my mind, listen to my growth and attach my present Mm -hmm. to what I had dealt with in the past. Mm. Um, for me, one of my most, uh, determining factors in how I manage my personality with other people was abandonment. Mm-hmm. I had been mm-hmm. abandoned by my mother at a very young age. Like, I, there was once when I was seven, and then she left me again when I was 11, and she didn't come back until like I was 21. Wow. So, like, 10 years without having uh, a divine feminine. I did have a, I do have like a stepmother, and she was there, but like, when you're working, 10 14 hours a day mm. just to be able to put food on the table yeah. like how present how can, can you, you be? really be yeah you know what i mean so it's just like that sense of abandonment that sense of mm. potentially being alone carried me into my relationships in the future and that's a lot of the reason why i felt like i was doing so many negative things because that relationship that i had with somebody felt as so as though it was always finite mm. mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and realizing that is how I began to be able to turn that around. Mm. If I hadn't reached a point of sobriety over a period of time, 
I never would have had an opportunity to change the way that I was treating people. I learned to expect a positive outcome from the relationships that I was having from others, and it made me value people more. Mm. I can't lie to you because I care about you. I can't steal from you because I care about you. I can't take your food because you may go hungry if I do. So I want to make sure that you're safe. And you're a part of my tribe. I may need you, so I want to make sure that you're safe. Instead of, oh, you're going to be gone tomorrow anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. I want to talk to you about cannabis. Okay. And your <clears throat> your journey with cannabis. Yeah. Um, and that's something I haven't, we haven't gotten too deep into in this podcast. It just hasn't quite come up specifically. Mm. But that's one that is a very slippery slope for so many people, especially because mm. it is technically a plant medicine. And it does have a lot of therapeutic value however in our culture and the way that it's been abused in the way that that plant has been hybridized and and the THC the tetrahydrocannabidol compound has been excessively potentized and the way that it's affecting people's brains particularly because of the medicative use that it has, the sedative use that it has, mm-hmm. um, I see it as almost entirely a net negative thing at this point, mm-hmm. um, unless used in very specific purposes, like if somebody's using it to go deep into like, you know, a somatic release process, they're using it to go into maybe a workout within the first 10 minutes, um, uh, you know, yoga, body movement, but doing, but but even then, it's only really helpful periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a feminine plant, and it has a very seductress energy to it, and it can try to fill in that like mother wound, mother void, and distort that energy. Um, I know for myself that that's been a thing where if I if I use cannabis. I find that it disorientates my mental frame. It, it just kind of makes me too airy and Ayurvedic. They call it like an air dosha imbalance. You're mm-hmm. just too airy. You're like too mental, too in the, the air realm. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm curious like what your what your experience with it is and, and also what caused you to really determine that this was no longer useful for you. I was addicted to weed heavily for about five years. And even when I was in the corporate world, I used to smoke around four bowls a day. Um, What I realized is that as I learned to smoke marijuana and do things, I could ignore every fucking thing else. Sure. Which for the short term, for like a businessman, for like a CEO, someone who didn't have any anticipation of maintaining a family... That would have been perfectly fine. But my family is always my greatest motivation. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't smoke weed going into the workday so that I can smoke more weed when I come home. I smoke weed going into the workday. To work get day through the workday. So that I can come home and be the man that my family needs wow. me to be. Mm-hmm. Was my anticipation. However, over time, um, I began to lose track of the little things. Mm. I, I began to forget that I left my shoes on the floor so my spout, my partner would always have to pick mm, it up. Mm. I forgot that I wasn't cleaning the fucking dishes, that I wasn't feeding the dogs, mm. that I wasn't cleaning, uh, cleaning my room, cleaning 
behind myself, making myself dinner, making her dinner, eating dinner with her, you know, all of these things that a man would know to do, mm -hmm. I was only becoming the provider. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to uh, my partner at the time, I had become so emotionally detached from her by smoking marijuana wow. on a regular basis that it's almost like cheating emotionally cheating in a way completely yeah completely like there was no need for me to understand what was wrong with her mm. because i felt like i was already satisfying what she needed i was putting food on the table i was paying the mortgage i didn't need to know what her feelings were mm. and i as, see yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's very classic common as she began to grow and I continued on my path, we had grown apart and I didn't even see it. Because mm. I would come home and I'd be high all the time. Mm. So when I, when I quit that job, I wanted to try to repair things because I saw that we were separated, but I didn't attribute it yet to marijuana. Mm. So like I would go train in martial arts for four hours, come home, smoke weed so that I would stop hurting and to pretend that I was this great, you know, partner figure. But at the end of the day, it would take years of repair to do the years of damage that I'd done. So at that point, like, I realized that that partnership was no longer for me. Then I went through this fit of almost like a child, like a, a child running through the field, mm. going from woman to woman, mm. being completely mm. emotionally detached. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just the same thing over and over again. Like, are you even really here? Mm. You don't really know my name. Mm. Like, all these different things that I'm hearing from these, these women who I was going through, expecting them to be potential partners. And all the while, the common denominator was that I was high as shit. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. when, um, at, yeah. at my peak, I would smoke what's called a bag. Yeah. So you know, like a vape bag. Vape, vape bag. Yeah. I would hit four bags a day. Wow. I would hit two bags when I woke up in the morning. If I do like one little hit, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. I was like, but but the feeling that it gave me was just like, I'm gonna hit a bag and train for six hours. Right. 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 You know what I mean? Right. Because so, it puts you in this like this like very hyper focus, right? Absolute hyper focus while having the muscle relaxing effect yeah that's right that's right of and that's why you see like arnold schwarzenegger in that whatever pump i think it was like pumped whatever that old movie is and he's yeah. smoking a joint and that was like that was kind of a common thing in the bodybuilder world yeah you you i mean i i can't do fucking steroids i just refuse but for those who sure. do you keep yourself dosed up you eat the right diet you'll get fucking massive because yeah. you can train like a Cause, yeah, because yeah, nothing. right. Because you're literally like you're you're overriding the sensory, the perceptual sensory system, so you can just keep going and keep going. Yeah. So, I I slowly began to realize that I started going on a second stint. It was last year, I think it was, and I went on a stint for twenty days, and I was just like, wait, I'm in pain. <laughs> I'm uh, right, because it's hurting. it's a painkiller. Yeah, it's a sedative. Yeah. This is really, this is great. This is really interesting train of thought we're going on right now. So I, I was just like, well, if, if I can continue doing my martial arts while I'm smoking marijuana and mm -hmm. I can recover while I'm smoking marijuana, I can continue to smoke marijuana. But that wasn't the first dumb thing I told myself while I was smoking weed. 
It was also, hey, I'm going to go to this party, so I'm going to smoke marijuana so I can enjoy the party. Yeah, if it works here, then it must work in another area. Every single area that I could think of. If I was going to, I was doing security for clubs and getting high as shit because, you know, I was afraid of the crowds and I wanted to be able to focus my mind on a potential threat. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the type of the type of ridiculous story because I'm not smoking weed. I'm not hungry. So I need to smoke weed so I can keep my weight on these types of stories that addiction will try to tell you. And when I learned to connect that with marijuana, I was just like, wait, 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 stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I took mm-hmm. another two weeks off. These last two weeks that I took off were in um, early April. And I took these two weeks off because I wanted to give myself a break to really get high for 420. You know, I was planning on how I was going to get super high and just slam a bag and fucking get just fucked up for a few hours, right? Well, I mean, it sounds like I'm talking about heroin, but this is weed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm planning how I'm going to get fucked up on 420. And I was, uh, I went in to go talk to my coach and he had set up for me to um, go in on Wednesday classes and help coach class, which is my passion. I've always wanted to be able to teach people martial arts because that would allow me to take martial arts home and know that I was going to have the financial security of having invested my time in it. Also, I started dating this ridiculously attractive woman. Mm-hmm. Just, just fucking bombshell dope woman who has described to me everything that I would want in my life's end state. You know, she had just, she had, we had talked about like where she wanted to go, mm-hmm. what type of family she wanted, how she wanted to travel the country, and like all the things that I had wanted uh, in a relationship. And it's the first time I had felt like anything like this in years because for all those years I was all fucked up. But I'm on a sobriety stint and like here, here this angel is, you know. So 4.20 I wake up and I'm like, man, it's 4.20. I'm going to hit a motherfucking bag, right? I hit a bag. Two hours go by and I wake up and I'm like, Oh shit, because I was supposed to go take her something. I, I can't remember. She had either left something at my house from a party that I'd had or something. So I had to go take her this thing. And I took this thing to her and I saw her and like I witnessed her grandeur mm. while I was stoned. Mm. And I immediately realized that I was terrified of her. Mm. And like all the way up into this moment, like I hadn't been scared of her at all. All of the things that we had done together up into that moment were such a pure state of flow. Mm. So like me being afraid of this woman that I had been so excited by was just like, that's marijuana. I know that's marijuana. And I had to sit with that as I went home. And like I went home and like, I was still sitting with that that fear, that pain, the realization that I may ruin the potential of what I have with this incredible woman mm. if I keep smoking weed. Mm-hmm. Because I know that mm-hmm. in that emotional mm-hmm. wall I talked about before mm-hmm. would be built again over time. What if I grow away? What if I grow away from this woman because I'm stoned all the fucking time? Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there thinking about that. And like thinking about smoking a bowl too. Like it was because I had I spent $150 on weed for the day. You know, this is my 420, it's my big celebration. So I, I smoke a little bit of a bowl and I go to sleep again and I wake up and it's 516. Mm. I was supposed to be wow. at practice wow. at 530. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, Shit. this is my dream. Yeah. This is what I fought for. Yes. This is what I truly wanted in life. 
And I'm fucking late yeah. to my opportunity to coach mm. class at the top martial arts school in the fucking city. And you had city. to coach. I had to ooh, fucking coach. That, ooh. So you're, you're, you're late by a margin. Yeah. Mentally, I'm fucking not even there. So I drive to fucking practice. Warm-ups are getting started. I get out there and like I start, I, I don't even go on the fucking mats. I, I'll never forget it. I didn't even go on the mats. I sat on the sidelines and I was looking at my coach and I looked at my coach and I had to be honest with him because I already taken an oath of honesty. I was like, coach, do you want me to coach class? I'm fucking stoned. I said it just like that. And he goes, well, Shaka, everybody's fucking stoned. We're all stoned right now. It's 420, motherfucker. And I was just like, oh shit, he's going to make me do it. He's going to make me do it in front of these complete fucking strangers. So we walk into the ring, and I got eight students with me, and my coach is a goddamn Jedi. Was he okay. serious? Was everyone still Dead serious. Oh, wow. No, not everybody. Just him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, uh, he probably wow. doesn't smoke as much as I was smoking, but it's 420. Yeah. You know what I mean? And oh he's a fucking gosh. Jedi. Yeah. So have you ever seen like someone play a Jedi mind trick, like just start talking just into totally. a web? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So he's like, well, Shaka, you know, we're going to be working on uh, kick returns right now. So you, you block with the shin and then return with the shin. Go ahead and practice that with me real quick. And I was high as fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like I try to do it and like I'm stumbling over my feet because not only am I high, but I'm out of practice. I haven't been training for mm -hmm. however long because of my surgeries. Right. So he goes, oh, OK, Shaka. So, um, you know. What I really think you should do is a jab, jab, hook, step over to the side here, then do a, a pendulum swing into your sidekick, and then step back, switch stances, and throw a hook. And he mm. just started fucking Throwing with my head. You. Fucking with my head, right? Yeah. And I was just like, oh no. I can't do this. Mm. I can't do this high. Mm -hmm. So I took that idea. And I was just like, okay, I know exactly what to do. I remembered the knockout that I had done on this black belt when I fought him in my first amateur fight. So I, I trained everyone on that, that knockout kick. But it was also like, are you really going to fuck your life up for weed? Mm -hmm. There was still weed that I have left. And with that weed that I had left, I took it and I put it in my drawer. And that weed is still there. Oh, wow. I constantly think about... You use a symbol. It is. Wow. I use that weed as a reminder every morning that I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to smoke with my friends. I'm not going to so smoke at parties. But it's also a reminder of what weed could have cost me. Because if I smoke weed, my relationship with my girl changes. My relationship with my people changes. And my level of motivation up to that point maybe completely gone the next fucking morning. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, th this hits home big time. We, we all have our own version of this, right? And especially when, you know, as I've gotten really deeper into the subject of addiction and then going deep into my own attachments, my own addiction cycles. Um, yeah, it just, it hits it hits home and it's like the classic story of having to hit rock bottom and rock bottom is a spectrum. Mm. Um, and it's amazing because you can keep going lower mm. when you think you've hit rock bottom, there's a lower level mm. and it can get low and low and low and, and people find that low and everybody's rock bottom is a little bit different. But for you, it sounds like once your integrity, was confronted and on the line, and you realize that this habit 
is compromising your soul's purpose um, and your integrity to show up for other people, then it sounds like that was a major turning point. Massive turning point because why would I allow myself to be compromised so that I can feel sort of kind of good? Sort of kind of good. Yeah, sort of kind of good. Like I'm just, why would I eat a candy bar if I know I'm in, uh, if, if I know I'm in camp? It became like common sense to me. Like I knew that weed was a part of me emotionally separating from the last successful partnership that I thought I had. And it's not that I want to be in partnership with her anymore. We're separate. Yeah. But I knew that our separation involved marijuana. I know that if I wanted to be a professional fighter in Texas, mm. if you want to be a professional fighter, you have to have the discipline to not have weed in your system. Why would I compromise that journey to feel a little good? And I know why now. I was going to ask. Let's ask, let's talk about that. Why? There were things that I did not want to confront. Mm -hmm. There were things in me that I was avoiding by smoking marijuana. There were flaws in myself that I was avoiding doing the work for. Mm -hmm. And instead, I would, I would enjoy the satisfaction of marijuana versus enjoying the satisfaction that discipline would really give me. Introspection, mm -hmm. meditation, mm -hmm. taking the time to mm -hmm. get those little bits of dopamine from having done the right fucking thing and then having all of that dopamine flush out in this cataclysmic event that I had pre-planned, that opportunity would have been taken from me if I had allowed myself to smoke weed. And because I was smoking weed for so long, I had no desire for that cataclysmic, life-changing, positive event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, it's really deep. It's really deep. And... Oh, yeah, I mean, I can relate so much to it. And, and it's like, man, I don't, I don't even know what to say in this moment. I'm just taking a moment to just breathe it all in, you know, because I, I have, you know, as we all do, I'm, I'm now it's bringing up a lot for me in my life. You know, I'm in this incredible union partnership with my beloved, the woman that I am very clear that is my person mm -hmm. going on this huge journey together. And yeah, it's, there's, there's certain things in me that I'm seeing like, yeah, there's still little avoidance tendencies, not so much in the relationship, but like outside of it in my ability to create structure, create a foundation, um, really fully engage with my business um, and, and come back to that work to create the stability and structure for the, the, the vision of the future. And so yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate you just bringing all this forth. This is such an important conversation for all of us, especially all of us as men. Yeah, because there because there are things that our partners are going to do that do trigger us. There are things mm -hmm. that our partners are going to do that are going to reveal parts of us that we just don't like. Mm -hmm. And for so many men, especially in the conscious community, especially in the business community, the solution for so many men is some sort of numbing agent yeah. so that they don't have to feel the pain of that reality. <clears throat> right. When the truth is, 
if you engage that reality and you take ownership of yourself, mm. your experiences, and the ways in which you manage your trauma, if you take ownership of those things, you won't need to supplement your life right. with Xanax. Right. With marijuana. Right. With your with your with your side chicks. Right. Your drinking. Pornography. Masturbation. Exactly. Social media. If you can take a moment and sit with yourself, even if it's not that day, because sometimes it hits me fucking late at night. Mm-hmm. And I'll be sitting there by my goddamn self thinking about all the bullshit that I used to do to try to make this feeling go away. And you wake up the next morning and it's almost like a download from God or Mm -hmm. the universe or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And it reveals to you, hey, that's abandonment from when you were a kid. Yep. Yep. That little you wasn't satisfied. So you feel like you're alone. Mm. Are you alone? It's like, no, I'm not alone. Mm. So the next time you feel that, Recognize that you're not alone. Not only that, but you seem to have a lot of fucking energy if you're thinking that much. That's right. That's that's a good point. Where where can you put that energy that would be beneficial to you? Yeah. Yeah, it's scary to get out of bed. Yeah, you're tired. Your body's tired. You don't want to get out of bed. Good. What can you learn? All you need to be able to do, uh, all you need to be able to learn something new is use your eyeballs and ears. Fuck, you don't even have to use your eyeballs and ears. We got audiobooks now. Yeah. You don't even have to turn the light on. Yeah. You could plug your headphones in, listen to a podcast like this, and have your life improved. Yes. Spend that hour. And hell yeah, you might go to sleep. You may not learn everything, but I tell you what you didn't do. You didn't burn your life down. Yeah. You didn't make a cataclysmic mistake. Yeah. You didn't That's put a right. drug into your system. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's like the, the quote from the Buddha, once you hear the truth, you can't unhear it. And it won't leave you alone. And that's the thing with a conversation like this and listening to different podcasts and doing personal development work and spiritual work is that you open up a door within the recesses of your mind where if you open up that door and you start walking in, you can't really go back. And if you try, it will only get more painful. And that's the feedback system of the nervous system of the soul, essentially. And, you know, while we're in these physical bodies and these sensations like anxiety and depression and self-doubt and inner conflict and tension, where the pharmaceutical approach is to numb and medicate it and, you know, give you Prozac and, and antidepressants. And those things can have a place, although not necessary and not helpful in the sense that when you understand what these sensations are they're a feedback mechanism from your body from the deep the deep swelling of your soul to try to wake you up and keep you on path because your destiny is at stake and that's that's like that's like the that's what I want to highlight right now, and that's I'm even feeling that in my body as I talk to you, and I'm just like, oof, okay, mm-hmm. like I, I know that feeling so well, yeah, and and it's so powerful to articulate it right now because that feeling is the um, it's the existential pressure of your soul desperately trying to save you in 
and gets you rerouted back on the right timeline because time in this 3D uh, reality is finite. To bring you back to embodiment. Bring you back to embodiment. Your, your embodied self yeah. isn't addicted to drugs. No. It's just a truth. You waking up in the morning in clarity, peace, and self-understanding is not addicted to drugs. And your ability to look within yourself and listen to the speech that you're giving yourself about what you need, why you need it, all of these things are a muscle. They're, that's right. My ability to curl 50 pounds may be shit at first. But if I take my other hand mm. and I help that 50 pounds up for the first 20 to 30 mm. reps, mm. I set a timer. I spend five minutes a day trying to curl that 50 pounds. I start carrying around 30 pounds mm. during the day mm -hmm. just to make sure that when it's time to curl that 50 pounds, I can maybe get another rep in the next mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. That's a muscle. Yeah. And when you listen to yourself and you hear, oh, I'm, I'm feeling abandoned right now. Mm. The more you work to listen to that voice and try to find a solution, the faster you'll hear that voice. Yeah, right, right. And you have to, you have to allow it in. Mm -hmm. Like otherwise, it's just going to create more distress. Mm -hmm. And that—that's the—that is—that's the problem. Is that yes, we try to suppress it or subdue it, and that—that that in of itself is a downward spiral towards just, just a life of suffering and pain, just just riding the wheel of samsara over and over and over, mm -hmm. the addiction cycle, and recognizing that it's actually something that wants your attention and wants to engage with you. You know, you could look at it from the inner child perspective, which you brought up, which is like, we all have a little boy or a little girl inside of us. And if you ignore them, and they're crying and throwing a tantrum, it's not going to go away. You have to actually turn your gaze to that little child and kneel with the little child. Look them in the eye, open your heart, and engage. And really be with that and walk that little child back up to the mountain. Um, and that's what you're speaking to. Like if you, if you don't work the muscle, it will atrophy. But the sensation will not go away. So your ability to engage with it will only diminish. And then if you if you change, if you if you build on how you satisfy that sensation towards something that helps you to better embody yourself. So Tashaka yesterday, right? Tashaka from before was a martial artist. Mm. So when I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I have this strange urge to feel nurtured and feel better about myself and feel worthy, you know, I had a dating app. I could freaking swipe left or swipe right mm -hmm. and end up finding the, some chick's bed to be in. Mm -hmm. Or I could go into the next day with the knowledge that I had done film study. Mm. I, had, I could go into the next day with the knowledge that I had drilled in my head one, one, two, three. Mm. One, one, two, roll three. And just start fucking giving myself the numbers. Tashaka to today, I coach people. I give mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. a deeper understanding of how to go through these practices. There's decades of literature mm. on how to help someone be more embodied. 
There's decades of literature on how to communicate these concepts to other people. I could be sitting in bed and go over those same things, or I could annoy my girlfriend at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and you know ask her what she's doing, see if she's watching a movie, and start wasting her time. Yeah. Because that's what you're really doing. Mm. That's one of the most common denominators. Have you ever heard of like an incel or these freaking... Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the saddest thing. They go around talking about how women reject them and how women totally. don't want to be around them. Yeah. It's just like, motherfucker, you don't want to be around yourself. That's right. You have no idea what you're passionate about. You have no idea where you want to go. And mm. you believe that just because that woman exists and she's beautiful that you deserve a little right. bit of her time. Right. So that you can feel Ooh, better about yourself. I know the yourself. women are really liking this right now. <laughs> it's just like, no. Like, if you were embodied, you would be taking steps towards gaining a better understanding of what you're looking for in life so that when you go to that woman you have something to offer mm. you're still that motherfucker who mm. sends her a text and go a text and you're like hey how are you and she's like motherfucker it's 10 o'clock at night i'm sleepy what do you mean how am i you know what i mean yeah and then it's suddenly yeah. her yeah, fault yeah. that she's upset uh-huh it's, no. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Find out what speaks to you. Don't go to mommy. Don't go to daddy. You got you have a mentor for the first time, and you text your mentor. I don't know. It's ten o'clock. What am I supposed to do? And oh I'm god. Not, oh god. Yeah. It's not a criticism. It's a it's a statement of something that I used to do. Sure. I sure. used to be managing a successful major aspect of a company, and I'd be looking around at nine thirty at night and be like, "Hey, boss, I got all my stuff done. Is there anything else I can do?" Like obviously, there's other stuff you can do. There's so many things you can do. How many mm. different, uh, how many different scripts have you written? How many different slideshows have you made? How can you affect other parts of the company? How can you show up? You know. But it was I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about g- being given the attention that I was and craving, getting validation. Yeah. And like, look, I, I want to do things. Look at me. Like I, you know, like trying to get the reward ahead of time, mm. and and also like for the wrong reasons, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get validation because I, I'm, I'm showing up to make an effort, but I still need permission from you Mm -hmm. for me to do that. And I need your validation Mm -hmm. and your acceptance for me to do the things that I should actually want to do out of service. Whether it's like, if I want to do something for a woman, it's because I want to do it regardless of her response or if she receives it or not. Like that's the wrong energy. That's the wrong, um, motivation, mm-hmm. you know, just like if you have a, a boss or you're not, you learn this as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you learn this as an entrepreneur because you, you do things because a, they need to get done in order to get to the next step. And you don't have anyone hanging over you mm-hmm. to tell you what to do. And if you hire a business coach, the right coach is going to hold space, is going to guide you, is going to tell you what it is, might give you strategies, but <clears throat> you you have to do it because it's it's for you. It's not for somebody else. I also think, and that, that when I when I started getting into uh, the realm of coaching, I started hearing stories about other coaches. Hmm. I started hearing stories about the things that other coaches weren't doing. I also think that a coach, business coach, relationship coach, freedom coach, they're going to hold you accountable. They're going to ask why you didn't show up for you. Yeah. They're going to ask what you were doing instead of doing uh, what you knew was necessary. 
to make sure that you could go into the path that you need to go into. You wake up and you make this, uh, you make your vision board and you tell yourself, I'm gonna make two grand this month or I'm gonna make two grand this week, however you say it, Yeah. right? Yeah. But instead of prospecting, instead of, do, instead of doing your appointments, mm-hmm. instead of writing your contracts, mm-hmm. instead of making your phone calls, you get stuck on stranger things. Stranger things, <laughs> yeah, I know all about stranger things. You know? Yeah. As a coach, I'm still getting paid the same. Right. But if I was doing this for money, I'd be corporate. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's right. Yeah, like I actually want to see you thrive and win and get healthier and become the best version of you. That's mm. the reason I'm doing this. And as a as a coach, like I've been in this for like 15 years now, and I'm just now at a place where I actually decided that I'm done trying to help people. Mm. Like I'm actually done trying to help people. Um, because my, my expertise, my guidance, my, my skills, my, my time is so infinitely valuable that somebody has to show up in the right energy and they have to be at a certain level of their own development to work with me. Mm. Like it's not about the money, but coincidentally that person has to have either put themselves in a certain position or is willing to go out and borrow the money, um, take out a loan, whatever they need to do for them. I don't tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. I, that's not my business. My business is to just show up and, and like be that space and be that invitation. But when you enter into this space, it has to be from a place of true commitment to yourself. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to end up with like a hundred thousand dollar year coaching contract. And that person is no better off than they were. But I, I just made a significant amount of money. That's not that that is not what I'm in this for. Mm-hmm. That does not feel good. I love how you say that. It does not feel good. There's this concept that I teach all of my clients called utility. There is an idea of how much feel good is for you, and I make it scalable. I want people to add a numerical value to the amount of feel good that you're experiencing. And if you're not experiencing a high level of feel good and you, you're experiencing a less amount of feel good, your utility is lower. Why is it lower? Are you reducing your t- utility now so that you can have an insane amount of utility later? Are you working 20 hours a day now so mm-hmm. that you can go to Burning Man, so that mm-hmm. you can go to Singapore, mm-hmm. so you can mm-hmm. go to Ireland? Mm-hmm. Or are you just fucking off? Mm-hmm. Are you working with a low utility day and not making any plans? Mm-hmm. You have no light at the end of the tunnel, nothing that you really care about? Right. Or are you just screwing off? Or are you trained to gain a high amount of utility from watching TV, mm. from hanging out with friends? Are you trained to gain a high amount of utility from smoking marijuana mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. instead of being trained to gain a high amount of, of uh, utility from being of service mm. from giving more because the same thing that you're talking about like if you were to get a hundred thousand dollars and not see a client be successful you gain no utility no. out of that no there's no utility out of that but if you were to get a thousand dollars from training an individual for three months and you see that motherfuckers life change totally that raises my game. Through that raises roof. my energy. Absolutely. Yeah. Through the roof. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's yeah. the craziest thing. Like, a, me, to see a client's body change because they're a happier person, they're more open. Mm. They're having more conversations. They're building their network. They're, they're adding value to their day-to-day life. They're, they have less inflammation in their face because they chose to have a better diet so they don't experience as much stress of the day. Yeah. To see a client build in that way is the same as winning a championship fight to me. Mm. I know what it's like to win a championship fight. Mm-hmm. I, uh, won a, <laughs> I, I, win, I won a kickboxing tournament in front of Joe Schilling. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've been through the roof, baby. I was in Vegas. I was in Vegas when it happened. There's no, to me, there's no greater experience that I can have than to be in front of Joe Schilling and beat the hell out of somebody. That's the epitome (laughs) of life for me. I felt the same fire Mm. when I asked my client, what are you doing differently? Oh, things just don't bother me as much. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I love it, brother. Mm-hmm. This has been an amazing conversation. <laughs> yeah, I knew this was going to be deeply rich, mm-hmm. and uh, we we went into a lot of really powerful things. Yeah, appreciate you sharing your heart and your passion, and. Um, if people are wanting to know how to connect with you, how do they do that? I am on Instagram at ShakaJudah10P. That's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Shaka Judah. Cool. All right, brother. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me, brother. Damn, this has been awesome. Yeah. <laughs>